Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Boris. Here's a question for you. Activewear, how long has it been around as a consumer product? Five years? 10? Maybe 15? What if I told you it's been around for more than 30 years and that an Aussie is responsible for creating that category? And that Aussie is Lorna Jane Clarkson and she's the founder of Activewear Apparel Company, Lorna Jane. It's a name synonymous with activewear and since founding the business in 1989, a name that's gone global. With stores in the US, UK, Canada and China, it's a brand with plenty of staying power. I last spoke to Lorna on The Mentor back in 2017 and today she's back on the show to break down how her business continues to innovate and stay relevant amidst a wave of new entrants into the activewear market. So how do you differentiate yourself? How do you encourage innovative thinking within your team? And what is it that continues to keep a founder interested in their business? That's a good question. Long after they found success. So let's get into it. Lorna Jane Clarkson. That's me. <laughs> Welcome to The Mentor again. I haven't seen you for ages. I don't think, I think last time you were on the show was in around 2018 or 17 or something, four or five years ago. Mm. That'd be right? Yeah, it would be. I, th- I think you'd maybe, I'm not sure, but I think you'd just opened uh, a store in George Street in the uh, World Square or for, or for some reason I ended up going down there to the World Square shop and I think we did some filming down there. I don't really remember the event or the occasion but I, that's my memory of it. That's how far back it was when we did our last interview and a lot's happened since then. Of course, we've had COVID during that period, mm, which gosh. never helps. Lots happened. Where is Lorna Jane active? Where, where is it today? Like give me a best description of, say, your market share, um, where you operate around the world. Um, is it mostly stores or online? And who's your sort of audience, like your target audience, like maybe in those four parts? Ooh, there's a lot of things. I'll try and remember all of those and then you can, you can push me in the right district direction. Okay, so, um, yeah, COVID hit and... Um, None of us knew what was going to happen. You know, none, none of us knew what the outcome was going to be. Um, so initially um, everything closed down. Um, it's when we actually bought back our business from our partners, which was something that good that came out of that. Um, we became a – so we had around 200 stores then and we became an online-only business, which was new for us as well. 200 stores in Australia or – Globally. Globally, right. Mm-hmm. And then – but you, but you kept the 200 stores? No. No. Oh, we did initially, absolutely, yeah. but they closed down. Now we have 115 stores. Did you reopen 115 new stores or did you, out of the 200 you closed down, you reopen? You know, a little bit of both. We, both. Well, when you have retail stores, you tend to um, juggle them around and say, well, that's working for us or our customers are more in, in, in these areas now. It, it's a constant flux. You're always moving. Um, but I think around 115 is good for us now. Right. And um, so initially we were an online-only business, um, which was fantastic, um, a much easier business to run. When you first course. kicked off, you mean? No, when through COVID. Oh, through COVID, okay. We were forced to do that. So um, so you had no physical stores. No. Nothing could be able to not at all. get out going anywhere mm. around the world, that is. Because part of the reason we have stores is to have that personal experience with our customers. It's great for our customers, it's great for our community, but it's also great for the knowledge that we gain 
about what our customers want and where they're at in their lives. Um, so, yeah, we were online only and we've um, slowly come back to retail. And retail is initially we didn't think it was ever going to come back, but I really feel like people are going into retail. So we have stores in Australia, New Zealand um, predominantly, um, and we have a budding China business. So our business has definitely changed. I think we're a better business because of COVID. I think it, it made you look at your business and decide what was necessary and what wasn't, and then it allowed you to rebuild your business and do it better. That's interesting. So you've, you're now got a market in China, China. I mean, I, I presume it's an online market. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're delivering to China or I don't know where you manufacture these things, but let's, it ends up in people people in China's front door somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we might actually come back to that in terms of logistics. But And you've got mostly your physical stores, which you've reopened um, towards you know, COVID, I guess, um, both in Australia and New Zealand. I've often wondered... You just you sort of explained it, but I've often wondered the trade off between uh, the rent and the cost of staff you have to put into a physical store. Trade that off against what you just said, the knowledge you gather from people coming into the store and the experience that people can have by coming into the store as opposed to trading online. There's a bit of a trade off there because. Uh, Sometimes the cost, if like if you're in the middle of um, George Street or the QVB building in George Street, which you know per square meter is very very expensive, and you've got to put people in there as well. They're generally speaking hard to get, and when you do get them, you've got to pay them a lot of money. And then sometimes they don't come in; they do come in. You've always got all these plugins you've got to be playing around with. How do you manage that trade off? Should I have a retail? Should I have a retail s- store when my online stuff's going well? How do I trade off the cost? I think you have to look at it as overall business. Like there's a huge cost to um, running an online business as well. Like um, digital marketing is expensive and it's very competitive, you know. Um, So, yeah, you just have to look at it as a whole business. I feel like from the very beginning when I started my business, like to actually open a store that only sold activewear was completely unique and people thought I was crazy to do it. But I really wanted that connection with the customer and I feel like that's how you build a brand. And I know that people have successfully built a brand online, but I feel like there's a different level of community that you build. I mean, I've been... I've been in this business for close to 35 years now and uh, we have such loyal customers and that's really quite unheard of these days. It's not very often that you'll see someone head to toe in a particular brand. People like to style it and, and wear things back with, you know, high luxury brands back with something that they bought from Zara or Kmart. Um, so I feel like the the big picture of having both is important. And you've, you've probably noticed that quite a few, especially in apparel, quite a few online-only brands have started to open stores. And I feel like that would be more challenging than our challenge of having a retail business and building an online business from that. And that's something that COVID helped us with. You know, we were aiming for 20%, 30% online business. And we've we've so much, we've exceeded that. I mean, we were 100% at one stage. So, um, yeah, I feel like for us anyway, the combination definitely works. Which takes me to the next point. You and I have been around a while. <laughs> we've been doing this stuff for a long time in our respective industries. And to some extent, we can be criticised or at least constructively criticised for perhaps sticking to what we've always done, what we know, what we feel comfortable with, the way we used to shop. In my case, you know, I do it with my franchises, the people come and get home loans from a store as opposed to online. We may get criticised because of our age, you know. Uh, well, that's what you guys always did, you know, 20, <laughs> 30 years ago. You're still doing the same stuff today. We, a younger generation, we don't believe in that stuff. We just think, you know, another generation might say that what we're doing is stupid. Is it the case that the reason why it works for you, and maybe the same for me, but the reason it works for you, your Lorna Jane's brand, is because your customer base may be a different generation to the online generation? No, I don't think so. Um, We employ young staff. Like I think our our staff are 
in their from about 25 to probably 39 is predominantly the staff that we employ across our whole business, even in leadership roles. Um, our demographic is women that want to be active. We inspire women towards active living. Um, but the age demographic is um, predominantly 25 to 35, then 35 to 45, and then 18 to 25. And the 18 to 25 is the fastest growing demographic that we have. So I feel you just have to have um, keep that old school feeling. You mean in the shopfront? Yeah, well, no, just running that business, like really understanding why retail works. Right. Um, and then you have your, you know, your people who are fantastic with TikTok and, and, and Reels and social media running that the other part of your business. But generally I think our customers shop both. I think they do a lot of their research online. What's interesting is that our most technical and our most advanced and innovative product sells better in our retail stores than it does online. And I I feel like it's more a transactional business than an emotional business, which is retail. What, what do you mean by that, more a transactional business? Okay, so they come in, they need a pair of black leggings and they buy them. Right. Whereas um, when you're shopping retail, you're looking for something different. You're looking for something new. You may go into the store, look into the store looking for that pair of leggings that you want to replace because you've got a hole in them. But then you um, learn about other things. You learn about aloe vera fabric and you you learn you see a great new sports bra and you tend to buy the new pieces as well. You mean in your store or, or generally? I'm I'm talk. I think generally, but I'm talking specifically about our stores so, because so, it's it's. So. So different, the type of product that sells. So a customer um, who may go on to online says, I'm going online to buy that specific pair of leggings that I always buy, that colour, that size, that uh, fabric, whatever, and I go to Lawn & Jane because that's where I've always gone. Click, bought, gets delivered, I'm happy. But then sometimes I might have a bit of spare time and uh, I think I might just go shop around and have a look what's out there. And when I'm doing that, I actually start to look for all – I get excited because there's five – Lots of shiny things. (laughs) Active wear shops in the row and there's Lorna Jane and I go in there and I see – you go to Lorna Jane's store and I see – but not only has she got the ones that I always buy transactionally online, but there's a few other things out there that she's got up there on the racks. I might try this, I might try that, then I might go to the other shops. So I have more of an experience in terms of the different style of things that are being made available to me today. So it's more – more an experience. But also a personal experience because um, the girls that work in our stores will ask you questions. What sort of exercise do you do? What are you looking for today? What colours do you normally wear? What like what sort of styles, what shapes do you like? Do you want to try this? You get to actually try things on, which is the great thing about retail, but you get to have a more personalised experience. Like you have to, online, you have to um, hope that your customer knows how to navigate the site really well. Is it? Do you think there's some uh, scope then for... Uh chatbots to be getting on to uh, online transactions and playing the role of the store person. Actually, you know, I go on there or I'm not going to go on there, I guess, but uh, someone goes on there, Jess goes on there, she's looking at it and the chatbot goes up and says exactly the sorts of things that your in-store service people ask people who walk into the store. Do you think there's room for that? Can you see a future of that? I don't really like chat bots, but we have live chat where they can speak to girls who have worked in our stores that now work in our head office and we can personally style them online as well. Yeah, so we do it's, that, it's, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I've, some of the really sophisticated chat bots are pretty good. And um, actually I encountered one the other day, I won't say what on, but um, I was I was trying to work, I thought straight up, well, that's a, that's a, that's a bot. Um, but then the quality of it was so good. So um, uh, normal, better way of putting it. Human. <laughs> yeah, it felt very human. Yeah. Mm. It didn't feel robotic like they normally feel. It felt quite humid. And uh, and I was prepared to accept that it was somebody actually on the other side of it just uh, typing questions into me as I was going along. And uh, and I, I think it's going to get very sophisticated, maybe in due course and probably what you're saying is right now is nothing better than a real person to be actually get on there to talk to you. So if I, I'm mean, probably going off the topic a little bit. If I just come back then, your experience post-COVID is that there are people who still want to have that experience, that personal experience by coming into a store, which is one of the drivers of the reason why you rebuilt your store 
your store footprint. Yeah, because it really did give us an opportunity to rethink our business and how many stores that we wanted. We knew we had too many closely located in a market now where there was more activewear brands, you know, more available. But we still recognise that the category is growing faster than the the activewear industry can keep up with. So um, That's an interesting one. So yeah. you're saying that the number of people who want to buy activewear is growing at a faster rate than the number of suppliers of activewear. Yeah, the demand is growing. Like the casualisation of how we dress globally is just going to increase and increase. We we believe that activewear is going to take over women's fashion. Do you think that's a, a post-COVID or a COVID effect? In other words, people lived through COVID, didn't go to work, um, but got up in the morning, maybe wanted to do a little workout downstairs, perhaps go for a walk, drive the kids to school perhaps if that was the case, um, male and female, and then uh, came back to the house and started their work and the best outcome or the best thing for the outfit for, for them to wear was active wear. Is that what you reckon? And they've carried it through. I think it was happening anyway. It just sped up it's through turbocharged COVID. It. Yeah, it turbocharged it, like so many other things, yeah. Yeah, because I remember when Active Wear first came out, I can't remember how long ago it was, but you used 35 to, years ago. 30, well, yeah, but it used to, <laughs> well, not quite that far back, but I don't remember, I don't remember quite that far back, but I definitely was around then. Um, but I do remember the, the, the conversation about, and I don't want to sound sexist, but mum's taking the kids to school wearing the active wear. It was like a big thing all of a sudden, you know, something brand new. And um, But I haven't sort of, sort of, I haven't noticed, not that I'm looking, but I haven't really noticed or observed it being more more obvious. So like in my office environment now where most of the people still coming, are coming back to work now, physically coming back to work, um, I haven't noticed any change in the dress. Everybody seems to be wearing what they used to wear pre-COVID. Um, so where is this increase in active wear use? Where are you seeing it? Um, I think I'm definitely seeing it on the weekends when people aren't working. Um, I mean, at Lorna Jane, we wear it every day. Um, I feel that there is, but they're brazenly wearing, like in Brisbane where I live most of the time, there's girls just walking around in bras and leggings. They don't even wear a tank top anymore. So there's this whole um, celebration of the fact that they're taking care of themselves. Um, I think there's an increase in people exercising since COVID. And and there definitely is a relaxation of the dress code in the workplace. Is that just Australia or also the US? Globally. And I think the US, especially California, is a real driver in the this area. Too, like, yeah, absolutely. The weather's great there. Most of the year the weather's pretty good there. So is this happening in China too? Well, China is a totally different story. And and to be honest, the China market has gone off. Um, What's that mean, gone off? Slow well, down it, or gone It's slowed mad? down because their reactivity to COVID was um, delayed for hours. And at the moment the Chinese government is telling people not to go out, not to exercise. Still. Yeah, I think because quite a few people had respiratory problems after COVID. They're telling them not to exercise where the Australian government was saying, make sure you do exercise. Or at least walk. <laughs> yeah, so um, it stopped trading in everything. Like re the retail industry has really um, almost closed down in China because they're telling people to stay home. But it will come back. I think, you know, three to six months it will be back. But it is our fastest growing market, but it's in its infancy. So it's coming off low base. <sighs> well, it's our second biggest market for Lorna Jane next to Australia. Well, so, well that, uh, I guess that, yeah, that makes sense um, because it's like a massive country in terms yeah. of people. Mm. Um, but, oh, uh, but it's very exercise-driven. It's not wearing it... Hanging out, out about. On yeah, exactly. So they're not going down to the to the seafood market to with their sort of Lorna Jane. I mean, the, tights yeah, on. the influencers are, but not everyday person. Well, that's interesting. So, are you seeing influencers? Um, uh, I guess on TikTok and various other things, um, getting out amongst it in um, places like China. Oh, absolutely. And, and talking about their active wear. Yeah, it's it's a huge market, and you can imagine how many people are following them. Oh yeah. Because of the population, and there's what they call daigos here as well, who actually are Chinese people living in other countries, like I, the ones that I know are California and um, Australia, and they're promoting this way of life to their followers in China. This Australian or Californian way of life. This active way of life. Yeah, yeah. this active way of life. Mm. So I just, before I go to the break, I just want to get my head around this 
you talk about active wear, like I understand that everybody in the world has a, a similar definition. What is your definition of active wear? What does it mean? For me, active wear is is something that you put on to be active. And that's why that's why people tell me I invented the word because before I started designing active wear, there was gym wear, yoga wear, running wear. There was, it was very specific. But to me, it's like just put it on and be active. I don't care what you do in it. So if you want to be active in your everyday life, wear it. So we have been the driving force behind making active wear something that people will wear in their everyday life because I believe, and your Fitbit's going to tell you this, you know, if you wear active wear, you will do more steps. You will make. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Make better decisions for your life and your health. Is the opposite argument, say, maybe something that my mother would have used or something like someone who's like many generations beyond it all, a lazy way of dressing? You know, in other words... Sort of convenient, nothing wrong with convenience, by the way, but uh, it's just convenience. Um, you can wear it both at training and continue on your with your day with it, as opposed to making the effort to go and uh, take off your training wear and put something more, let's call it appropriate. And we should talk about that after the break, too. What's appropriate? Um, appropriate for the next activity. You know what I like when I talk about this I talk about the cognitive effect of what you're wearing. So today we're going to talk about business. So I've got a business suit on. I know yeah. I could quite easily come in my active wear and I, I thought had, you might have actually. Yeah. And I have active had active wear on this morning. Of course I worked out. So so what you wear is an expression of how you want to be in that moment. So for me, the more often our customers will wear active wear, it means they're thinking about their health and well-being, you know. So now it's a little bit more widespread and people just wear it for comfort. But it does change the way you think. It does it's proven that it changes how you feel and encourages you to move your body your body more throughout the day. Is it is there anything any part of though like a statement stuff you I'm not going to wear as you have done beautifully today your your business attire for you for, for me you, thank Mark. you very yeah. much <laughs> um is it more others and I wouldn't have objected to this in any way shape or form if you had a warning come in not dressed like that but have come in your active wear to say no I'm making a statement I'm Lorna Jane and I have a have something I promote and I believe in and so much so that I'm going to wear it myself to see you today Mark and it's not a sign of disrespect it's more a sign of this is my stance is there some of that in relation to your customers, do some of your customers say, no, I'm wearing this outfit because you're not going to tell me how I should dress or there's, society's not going to tell me how I should dress or there's no appropriate dress other than what I decided I feel comfortable in? Whew, that's a big question. Um, I, It's the first time I've heard that point of view, so I'm going to say no, I don't think so because I feel like if that was prevalent with our customers, I would have heard of it before. I would like to think that people dress for how they want to feel. That's how I dress, you know, and I feel wearing active wear just like a suit is a celebration of who I am. I'm a businesswoman. I have an incredible business and I'm successful. That's what we're going to talk about today. But I also wear my active wear because I believe I'll be more active throughout the day. But also it's a statement about I'm an active person and taking care of myself is important to me. Okay, I want to go to the break. When I come back from the break, I want to just – pick your brains a little bit so those who listen can sort of get a sense for their own businesses. But I want to talk about how we decide when we're running a business about the thematics associated with the product and the service we offer. 
vis-a-vis our audience because you've got a, a big audience, a wide-ranging audience, audience in terms of age. I've heard what you've got to say, but I want to see what sort of research or how you go about finding out what the consumer wants to do in terms of what their position is in relation to what you produce. We're going to go to the break. Listen to our sponsor. Come straight back. Jane, I'm just intrigued how a business like yours, which has been around a long time and successfully, with large turnover, you managed to get through COVID, invented or reinvented your position, reopened stores, built up a platform to sell online, operate in places like country, which countries like China, which have a completely different culture to ours, USA or California, at least similar to our culture here in Australia, across across the ditch in New Zealand. How do you? work out the purpose, the emotional purpose, emotional context behind why people buy your product and importantly, what do they, what is emotion they're trying to acquire and how do you work that out so you can sell it to them? And it's not about whether it's made out of spandex or some sort of, you know, aeronautical, aeronautically produced um, fibre or whatever. I'm, I'm just, how do you work out the emotion of your consumers? Do you do surveys, online surveys or in-store surveys? What do you do? I'd like to say it's that complicated, but it isn't really. um, For us, we, my focus as an activewear designer is to create solutions for women who want to be active. So it's basically what I want in my active life and what the women that work for me want in their active lives. Um, Having um, both a, a digital and a retail business, a bricks and mortar business, really gives you access to your customers and you get a lot of feedback and you can watch what people um, are also searching online and then what they actually end up purchasing. There's a lot of data around what customers do. But I think it's my responsibility as the person that's driving the design team at Lorna Jane is to give people what they want rather than what they need. And so for me, I think you have to be a leadership brand and you have to um, test things and see whether there's an appetite and then run with it. You have to develop a business that for our business, you know, there's active staples. So we have to have those all the time because we want to give her the quality, the fit, the support in the styles that she loves the most all of the time. So we're reliable, but we also want to be that innovative brand that has new technologies that always keeps her wanting more and want, wants to visit us online and in the store to see what we're doing that's new. I think you have to develop yourself as an authority to stay relevant and keep her coming back for more. Was there one moment where you can remember where you got motivated or inspired by something that made you think to yourself, well, what the business is is far bigger and greater than how I'm feeling? Not so much that. I think when things are happening in my life, I actually just try to put it in perspective in a different way, though, in a way that it's like there's so many things that are happening to so many people all over the world that are so much worse than this. Health, family, you know, this war, there's so many things. And I just feel like, you know, I give myself a bit of a pep talk and say, get yourself together, Lorna. This is nothing. This is a speed bump compared to the challenges other people are facing. Give yourself a good uppercut. Exactly. And move on with it. Yeah. I'll, I'll give myself an uppercut. You can't give me one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely wouldn't. I heard you're pretty good at that. Like, no, no, no. Boxing. I definitely would. But I, but I often do it. I mean, I, it's something I give myself because, you know, you get, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. I mean, unfortunately, um, it, it happens in business and we get to a point where we do feel sorry for ourselves and a lot of times it's what we've done ourselves that's caused the problem in the first place. You know, just because we're business leaders doesn't – leaders of our own business, that is – it doesn't mean that um, we're immune from making mistakes. Mm. And a lot of times the mistakes we make, certainly in my case, is where I assess a risk of doing something but don't probably assess the risk and the risk ends up being greater than the benefit. And uh, and, I, and I, like I was just thinking to myself as you were talking, does that mean you now seek counsel on things that you might say or do to promote the business or around the business that could be a little bit 
conversion. In other words, do you tick everything off? Have you got now a PR person you talk to or an in-house lawyer or a lawyer you can talk to? We do have more people and, and that happened not just for any particular reason but I feel like the world that we're living in now, there's a lot more things that you know that as a business you need to tick off. Um, and so it is, you know, you carry a heavy weight in business and sometimes it gets really heavy and you ask yourself the question, oh, do I really want to carry this forever, you know? Um, but then you remind yourself that you love what you do and, and your business is doing so much for so many people. Um, but I feel like, like compliance is huge for any business now and I think it would have happened whether COVID was here or not. Uh, but that's an interesting point, Lorna, because you, you um, put it in the category of compliance. I'm, I might just sort of peel that back a bit because to be frank with you, I think compliance is a result of there being a lot more people more easily offended than I've ever seen in the past. So post-COVID, there just seems to be this increase in the types and numbers of people that can be easily offended by something either you do say or by something you don't say <laughs> or don't do. And uh, that now has been put in the category of compliance and you run now, we all now run compliance teams to make sure we comply with the new norm as to the way we've got to conduct ourselves. How does Lorna Jane, the business, uh, deal with this stuff, this new rise of people more easily offended by what you do or you don't do? But it also creates an awareness that, for me, it really has opened my eyes that I, I, I wasn't aware of how... Um, I was possibly offending people, you know. So it has been a real growth area for me. Um, and we have people in our business that have grown up with this type of thing. So, you know, they pretty much educate us on it every day. Um, so for me it's it's different and you can sit back and, and lament about the good old days or you can just get on board. And for me um, it has really, I think I've become a better person for understanding maybe some of the things I'd said in the past were offending people. And do you think that, um, I mean, there is a whole band of people now referring to some parts and various generations as being snowflakes because they're, they call it, they're soft. And I, I saw the other day uh, Donna White, who's the UFC guy, get on there and just rip into categories of age group categories of people in this world. It doesn't – I'd like to hear what your view on this is. For me, it doesn't really matter whether or not it's the way it used to be or it's right or wrong the way it is. It just is. And if you're in business, you have to com comply or fit into what is. If you don't like it, you get out. That's fine. Um, there's no point in beating up against it. There's no politics. I'm not trying to win votes to, to, to you know, to take – become the prime minister or the president. Is your view – that you just, that's more important to learn about what is rising, what the new marketplace looks like, and to not comply but to fit in. And that doesn't mean you're just trying to be, you know, like doesn't mean you're uh, soft or, um, I don't know, so malleable that you don't stand for anything. It just means understanding what's going on out there and playing the game because it just is one big game. Yeah, I think you have to embrace it. I think that's the word I prefer to use is just embrace it because if you're not learning every day, then you're not really living and that's always been my philosophy. So this is just another part of it. And it is a difficult um path to walk and and it is I think everyone's challenged by it and no one wants to, you know, make a wrong step, but we will. We all will. Um but we just have to then continue to get better at it you know like it, it, to me I just I hear new things all the time I think oh how am I going to keep up you know what if I say the wrong thing but you just have to know you will say the wrong thing and then you just have to move on and apologize for it and, and try to be better how do you how do you pick the trends though I mean how do you look at the trends are you, are you relying on younger people in your office or your environment to tell you about it or you um what do you read or do you I mean, you're looking on TikTok, you're looking on Instagram, Instagram's even becoming old-fashioned now, but you're looking on TikTok. What are you looking at to, observing, I should say, to work out where these new trends are and, and how do you test whether that's a trend or it's just a one-off? When you, What do you mean when you're talking about trends? Well, um, groups of people who expect not to be offended in your branding. Like, I mean, if I turn TV on now, I see ad, ads on television which is I don't turn on that much, but when I see, you know, free-to-air TV, whatever it's called these days, 
you see the mainstream ads on television, the people in the ads are addressing different parts of Australian culture. So we might have um, uh, people from Africa in there, which, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have seen five, ten years ago. We might see people there from Asian backgrounds. We might even see people who are um, non-binary in terms of their, their um, what they identify with. I'm now noticing it that. I have been noticing it for a while, but that obviously is a reflection of society and culture. That's where I observe things. Well, well, one of the places I have been observing things and I, then I test things back in my own environment to make sure I'm getting it correct. Where do you see it from? Where do you find these changes in the Australian culture? I think it's from within our business generally. I mean, everything we talk about is about women. We're a women's brand. So the mix of the people that work for me really does contribute in age, in ethnicity, in size. Like we have all those people working for us. So I feel that it happens organically. Like I can watch, I remember, you know, when it it was, we were moving away from using models and using real people in all different shapes and sizes and skin colors. And I will admit that in the beginning I didn't understand that someone who was, say, a size 14 or 16 couldn't see herself in a product because a size 10 model was wearing it. I, I couldn't understand. I guess it's because I'm a designer. I couldn't understand why she couldn't just imagine her body in it because I have that imagination that can do these things. And I remember posting our first um, size 16 model and the the amount of gratitude and feedback and comments about, oh, I can finally see what I'm going to look like in your product. I'm I'm going to the shop straight away. And it was like a light bulb going off in my head and I finally got it. And now I really understand and I, I just love being part of this community now that celebrates all women in all different shapes and sizes because I didn't get it. I thought we were doing it anyway. I just didn't realise that because she couldn't see herself, she felt like we were excluding her. That's very interesting and because and, and, by being that way, it actually builds quite a good defence to your brand too because if I'm a new brand, let's say I'm a 25-year-old or 22-year-old, whatever, young woman, could be a young man to be a young woman trying to take market share from Lorna Jane, the way I'm going to attack you, in other words, build my brand up by having a crack at your brand, is I'm going to pick on Lorna Jane herself blonde, blue-eyed, white. So I'll have a crack at you. So is what you are now talking about a way of recognising that potential also therefore becoming part of your defence of your brand? So it's a part of a way of building, not only appealing to these people and telling them, yeah, we've got something for you, but also by being able to put yourself in a defensive position for those who want to attack. Because, I mean, I saw Aussie Home Loans do it. John, John did it back in the 90s. The way he built his brand was attack the banks. It's, it was an easy mark. They're established, you know, everybody saw him as, uh, you know, lazy, market share, the incumbents. So a typical disruptor will go and attack the incumbent and you personalise it. Um, John didn't personalise it because there was no person behind it, but you're an easy mark because your business is called Lorna Jane and you are Lorna Jane. So... You're an easy person to attack today because you're not 25 and you're blonde, white, with blue eyes and probably be seen as privileged. So you're an easy mark uh, if I'm trying to establish myself. Yeah. And so how, how important is it for you to build as a business, to build defences against those sorts of disruptors? <laughs> I... Is that important at all? Well, I, I, it's not what I think about when I wake up in the morning. No. It's definitely a part of the business. It's not my part of the business. For me, it's about I want to be a thought leader in what we do. So I don't think about how I'm perceived in the marketplace personally. I think more about how the brand is. V- very possible that somebody could try and attack you Um and I just thought on a off chance that that was something that went through the, your process because you've got a big brand to protect and you can't be all things to all people. It's not That's just not possible. You can try, but, you know, there's so many deviations from the mean that, you know, after which you can't fit in the bell curve. It's not possible. And if someone is trying to build their brand quickly, they might see it as a cheap shot by having a crack at someone like you because you're, you're an obvious one. 
um, to me, you're an obvious one anyway. Like, I'm an obvious person too, by the way, old white guy, you know, like have a go. You're serious? Like uh, it's pretty easy to have a crack at me. Um, I'm in the same category. So I, I just wondered if that's a thought process goes through someone like your mind who's been around a long time who's got a very important brand to protect. You know, we are – our brand is studied in universities. So as a, a person that built a category, a fashion category, and, you know, created an incredible brand. So we are almost like a roadmap – for people. So we see brands that come out and follow our roadmap, you know. Um, but for me, it's like, and maybe it's arrogant, but they're behind us. They're doing what we did five, 10 years ago. And and for our, me as a business leader, I want to do something new. I want to carve a new pathway. So no, I, I, I don't, I don't think you can sit and think about those things. I mean, if someone directly attacked me, I would defend myself, but I just I think you can't live in that defence mode. You have to be on attack, just like they're on attack coming for the things that we've done and trying to sort of create a brand similar to what we have created. And we have to be on attack and set, you know, um, new yes. new pathways. Yeah, so that, that's a good way, good way of putting it. So your defence is attack. Yeah. But attack, not attack anybody else, but attack. Um, the market. And the market way, with innovation, yeah. for example. So... I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I, 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 I've seen men's, um, it's not called active wear, but gym wear that guys wear, like, like a lot of times boxes wear tight, long, long tights and we mostly for compression purposes. And, um, and there's been a lot of innovation around the compression, the quality of compression for health reasons, you know, like. What are you guys doing in terms of innovation? So what's Lorna Jane doing around that oh, territory? You know, um, that is the part of my job that I love the most. I'm a bit of a um, geek when it comes to fabrications and, um, you know, our brand's known for fit, so we do a lot of work on our fits, quality, of course, um, and support. So we put a lot of new technology into our sports bras. I think one of the biggest things that have we've has been very successful is we developed a fabric that was thermal. So our most popular leggings and our most popular fabric, we – um, created a winter version. So it, they're called um, winter thermal leggings and they have like an inner lining that traps your body heat. So they're 48% warmer than wearing a regular legging. So that is like a game changer on a cold winter morning or for women that want to exercise outside. So those are the sorts of things that there's a problem, you know, like she wants to wear her leggings but it's freezing cold outside. Solution, thermal leggings, you know. It's interesting you should say because I know when I wear the compression pants, for if I'm going to go for a run, and if I just decided because you know, just got they're bloody freezing in the winter for mm. some reason, it feels freezing like I don't know, it feels colder, like it just feels like I've got an ice thing around my leg. So, one of your innovations is making sure that those leggings are warmer so that people can exercise yeah. outside. Mm. You know, that makes sense to me. What other are there any? Um, do you guys do compression stuff for that's not a thing? We're for just you guys? developing some compression at the moment for travel, not for exercise, yeah. That's because a good one. yeah, because we're active wear. We're not making products for elite athletes. You yeah, know, yeah. as you said, you know, stay in your lane, do yeah, what you yeah. do. You can't be everything to everybody. Yeah, yeah. So we don't do compression leggings for. Although we have a lot of compression technology in our product, but we don't do the the DOMS or you know we don't play in that area. But we're definitely looking at doing some for December um, for traveling. Yeah, that well, that's a good point now because people are traveling a lot more again, um, and. And I actually have had a friend who recently travelled over to Mexico to actually go with Jeff Fennick to help him or be with him when he went to pick up his new World Boxing Council um, award for world championships. So they they actually decided to give him 30 years after he fought. They reversed the result of one of his fights and they, they said he won it and they gave him an award and my mate went over with him to, to Mexico. And when he arrived in Mexico, he, he got uh, DVT and it turned into a blood clot oh. and uh, – and he now he's telling me now that he has to wear compression pants every time he travels, and uh, and I, I I wore compression, yeah compressions. So I and I was often and I was thinking myself maybe I should get a pair if I got to travel long long distance as well. And is that something that you would say to somebody if they're flying in a plane, wear them as an active wear thing as well, or is there something you're talking about putting under a, another garment? Well, for us, um, we try to like with the the thermal leggings, we try to make it look like something she can wear. Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the Lorna Jane signature. So at the moment, 
I can just imagine what your compression leggings look like. There's no hiding that they're compression no, leggings, well, right? No, I wouldn't wear them without putting something over my yeah, aeroplane. So they look a bit funny at the front. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, I'm glad you said that. Um, so what we want to do and what we're developing at the moment is a compression leggings that just looks like a regular pair of leggings. I mean, you, you don't have to fly often to know that that's what women wear when they fly. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Black leggings. Okay, because that makes, makes a lot of sense to me um, and because they serve a, a, a dual purpose. And so... Lorna Jane's, or part of your, you in particular, um, your role in the business is coming up with innovation. And innovation, and this is my final question to you, but innovation is about remaining relevant into the marketplace and making sure that you do new things that are relevant to what people's expectations of what, you know, active wear should be doing. Because mm. otherwise you'd be just become old hat. You'd become, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're the same shit all over and over again. Which, by the way, some people like to buy the same thing every time. Don't get me wrong. I'm one of them. <laughs> but there are people who are looking at what's new. So that's a big part of your business? Oh, absolutely. And that's why I'm still doing it, to be honest. That's I, what keeps I, you going? Oh, absolutely. Um, but I also, it also gives you something to talk about as a brand. Like, you know, you think about how many times that you have to post on social media or that you, you're bringing out a catalogue. You need something new to talk to your customer about. You need to grab their attention and keep it, you know. You need to stop them scrolling on their phone. So it's also something that I that I feel you need to have as, in any business now. You have to be coming up with new ideas to actually compete with the competition because, even though we definitely don't focus on the competition, every business has a lot of competition. So you need to stand out and have something new and, and make sure that it's something that your customer values. That's very interesting because uh, I keep thinking in my own business, sometimes the business can be going for so long and it's so weld oil machine and you just keep producing the stuff that everybody wants and an entrepreneur can get a little bit, not bored, but um, lose their energy relatively speaking. And for me, the interest rate cycle we're just going through has actually given me a new lease of life because i got something to talk about. Um, you know, they're going to put interest rates up, they're going to put them down, they're going to stop. You know, I got ex- excited. I know it's terrible for the people <laughs> who are actually paying higher interest rates, but even if it was an interest rate down cycle, I would be equally excited and probably more excited because it's better for everybody. But one of the things that's kept me really excited over the last 12 months, 18 months, is this interest rate cycle intellectually and all sorts of ways because otherwise it's just doing I'm doing the same stuff that I always do and I think that's an entrepreneurial thing entrepreneurs can suffer from this and you're saying to me innovation from your point of view is one of the things that keeps you glued to the business like oh. excited to go to work every day excited to get up 3am and you know mm. do your exercise and get back on the on the road and talk to your staff. Is that right? Yeah, and I'm always grateful. I remind my creative team about this all the time is that they don't understand the power that the head creative owns the business. Like who's going to say no to me? You know what Mm. I mean? Like the business might say, well, that's a bit risky, Lorna. Maybe we'll just test that. But whatever ideas they come up with, as long as I think they're feasible, they're going to happen, you know, and I feel like as an entrepreneur that owns the business, it's such a powerful environment to be innovative. Do you, do you, do you, but do you test it amongst your staff and take the view that you'll make the final call because you are the owner of the business and do they understand that they are free to express their view either in the affirmative or against in the strong way as they possibly can? How do you build that sort of culture in the joint? You know, I hope they do. You know, I mean, I'm very strong in my opinions as well. I mean, you don't get to where I am in business without that. But I was just saying this morning um, to a friend of mine that quite often I will say, no, 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 don't like that idea. That's not good for us. Our customers won't like that. And then I'll think about it overnight, possibly wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'll go into work the next day and say to that person, you know what, let's give that a go. I've thought about it overnight and I think it's worth giving it a go. Let's go to sampling. Let's see whether we can actually achieve this. So I feel like I think as an entrepreneur and owner of a business and someone who's leading a creative team, you need to have a very strong vision, but you need to also be open and admit it when your first call wasn't right. It, it's a fine balance hmm. because you don't want to kill off ideas. You don't want hmm. to kill off um, respons- responsible reactions. You don't want to kill off um, – but at the same time, you don't have people sort of 
you know, a chaos where everybody's running amok and doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things at the same time. So there's a, it's a weird um, fine line or balance that you as the owner of the business and leader of the business have to achieve and it changes. I mean, the process of putting new ideas up or quashing new ideas or supporting new ideas I think has changed a lot since pre-COVID and today there's an expectation that everybody has a bigger voice in the business and that's a fine line. Have you, have you experienced that fine line? Yeah, I do. I've, I feel like a, what I've learned is that um, you need to create an environment where people understand that just because your idea isn't considered a good idea, it doesn't mean that it's a personal attack on you. You have to sort of um, separate yourself from the idea and not ev- every idea you have is going to be good or accepted you, by you, the business. You talk, You mean the idea of the individual put the idea up or yourself? Yeah. No, I, no, I feel like the individual. Yep. So, you know, say you're in a meeting and you're talking about how you want to do the marketing or some new product and someone puts an, up an idea and everyone, not me at the table, goes, oh, no, 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 and move on and you go to the next one. Like you can get feedback, especially from a, the younger generation, that of oh, their ideas are never accepted and it's like, well, I always think we'll have a good one (laughs) or just like just keep going then, you know, find out why that wasn't right and then try to hone your next idea so it is accepted. I mean you can't expect every idea that you put on the table to to be taken up by the business but it also can't stop you from having new ideas. So how how do you do you sit down with each individual in your team and just – take them through that thought process, I mean, that, that concept, or do you wait until they put up something and you do it by exception? How do, how do you get that thought process into the head? Like, look, keep coming up with ideas, and particularly good ones. We can't do everything. We can't do – sometimes we can't do any of them. Um, but we'll always get an op- give you an opportunity to air the idea because that, a bit like you as an entrepreneur, a lot of younger people in particular, they want to get – this creative piece out of them, their system, as well as earn their money and, and you know, they, they get more fulfilled if they have the opportunity to change the course of the business or add to the course of the business. Mm, I think a bit of both. I feel like sometimes it's the opportunity to actually talk about it in an open forum and say that's a great idea but it's the wrong time of year. How about we shelve that till summer? I think it's way more relevant. And other times it's about having it one-on-one with the with with that person, but I feel like it's about building relationships within your business and building an environment where people can just view their ideas and they don't have to feel like it's um, a measurement of how good or bad they are as a person. Lorna Jane, uh, thanks very much. I, I have to say, and you probably would agree with me, being the leader of your business and, and, and more importantly, I guess, the owner of your business at the same time, is, in, is becoming increasingly more difficult. But it's the difficulty and the complexity that probably drives people like you and me. Thanks exactly, so exactly. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.